everybody. Welcome to Improv FAQ at length. This is a series of longer conversations about improv topics that have lots of questions surrounding them. I'm James Quesada. And I'm Bob Wick. And we have a very special guest joining us. Uh, it is Chad Damiani. And I hope I pronounced that right, uh, Chad. Is it Damiani or Damiani? You nailed it. You I got nailed it. it. Cool. Um, uh, great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're very excited to talk to you about the topic of risk. Um, and we appreciate you being here. Well, it's a huge risk for you both to put me on this podcast. So <laughs> uh, we haven't had a delay, so we're not taking too many risks. <laughs> All right. All right. It's a podcast. You know, I'm, I'm old. I'm thinking like radio. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm I guess there's no risk button, at all. So. There's we no risk at all. We have a whole censorship team. <laughs> no. yeah. Standards um, and practices are we're just waiting. But so so uh, we, we landed on this topic. You suggested uh, risk, Chad, um, because you'd, you'd thrown out um, clown in improv uh, and also playing with an audience and also trusting bad ideas. Um, and we tried to kind of put that under discovery. And then we more specifically, you, you named it as risk uh, is, is a, more, a better angle for us to talk about. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about that because uh, it, I love um, I love risk and um, uh, that fear elements and uh, the follow the fear and taking risks along with improv uh, and performing in general. Um, and so for starters, uh, what, what did you have in mind when like, what comes to mind for you when you talk about risk on stage? Well, it's interesting because even through this whole COVID debacle, my definition of risk keeps evolving, you know, like uh, now that we play with people from the, you know, privacy and comfort of their own homes, being risky as an improviser or clown uh, is totally different than being in front of a live audience. And, you know, I keep distilling it. I guess, you know, what I've kind of been thinking about a lot, and I've been teaching quite a bit uh, this year, is risk in relation to danger. Um, and so for me, risk is when there's something at stake for the performer. Mm -hmm. And danger is when that threat extends to the audience, you know, so, you know, I think risk is probably much more what you're going to deal with when you have a fourth wall. And then danger is also something that's going to creep its way in if you have no fourth wall and you're directly interacting with the audience. But it's just this idea that there can be victory or failure. There can be embarrassment. There can be glory. You know, we risk has two sides. Uh, you take a big risk and it pays off and you're a star and you take a big risk and it flops. Then you get to enjoy sort of this failure in front of the audience. And, and I do think it's one of those things that is so misunderstood, you know? Um, and I think especially this year, as we deal with like, uh, you know, black lives matter and, you know, the, you know, kind of this resurgence of me too, and like politically incorrect comedy, that there's sometimes this feeling that risk means, oh, I'm going to just say something outrageous or I'm going to, you know, do something that's politically incorrect. And in fact, like you have to kind of think about that behavior through this sort of metric of what's at risk for you, All right? Mm -hmm. Right. Like what's at risk for you? So if you go out there and you say something and you're relatively unaffected by it or your life is unaffected by it, then is that, a risk or is that actually danger? Because now you've put the audience in a position where it's their discomfort and them dealing with the consequences, being the silent observer to your performance, yeah. you know, 
that's a good and, and like this is all stuff that really has kind of come sh- shown more now that we're reinventing how we improvise because of all these restrictions you know yeah that's a really great uh distinguishment like the, is it a risk for you because yeah i mean also also if if you feel uncomfortable saying offensive things it doesn't necessarily mean that that's your answer of how to risk. <laughs> But yeah. a lot of people that's an excellent are, point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a lot of people who are, are are interested in like edgy or risky things. I, I think that that's uh, maybe what you're pointing to is that people associate it with like taboo content that they're comfortable right. with, but that other people aren't. And and uh, I love kind of pointing to like risk has that that vulnerability and fear for you as a performer about exploring things that are uh, difficult or challenging. And and not not necessarily uh, ambushing the audience um, <laughs> or blindsiding the audience with like, bam, yeah, with, right. With this <laughs> that's I, I tricked you. You thought you were going to see a comedy show, but I'm going to say a racial slur. Yeah, <laughs> and, and now because you have to I'm on stage, kind of I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to decide I, if you I'm are, safe. You're say I'm on stage. Yeah, I'm raised. I got a big light on me. There's security. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's no consequence. And, yeah. And, you know, that also speaks to status, you know, like, I think there's this, I think when you start to do clown work, you realize that, you know, the person who's on stage with all the lights on them, often, at a, even in a raised position from the people watching, mm-hmm. there's inherent status there, you know, these people have come to see you, you know, you did not come to see them. And so often, because we're dealing with our own fears, and just our insecurities, we're like, Oh, my God, what a risk going out on stage. And it's like, well, <laughs> like you, this was, you know, this is actually uh, the, a platform of power, you know, mm-hmm. and what we do. And so how do we as performers get ourselves in trouble? You know, that's a term we use in clown a lot. Like what can we do to sort of sacrifice that status that we have naturally? And I think with improv, it for a long time was assumed. It's like, but they know we're going out with nothing. And it's like, right. yeah, but we also now have like 50 years of like tricks and tools and trades and half the people out there are my friends. And like, it's, there's, there's so many other things. So, you know, for me personally, as a performer, my interest is like trying to achieve something big and like dealing with the failure that comes with that. That's my main source of risk is something ambitious, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean like a, um, costumed Shakespeare show. I wish I could pull that stuff off. I, I'm, I cannot. Right. But, you know, coming out and sort of with a really dumb idea or like coming out really getting behind something that I think the audience is going to be like, this is, you know, you have, you've chosen unwisely. Then I feel like, all right, now I have to really work. How am I going to make this a victory? Or can I enjoy the failure of it with this audience? You know, together, can we sort of enjoy the fact that I'm, you know, knee deep in this and I don't know how to escape, you know? Yeah, the I, I, so so there's a, there's a lot of things in there that I that I really want to explore. One one of which is is just the idea that like um, the privilege that we have on stage to uh, take risks that aren't actually um, you know uh, putting us in in real danger, um, and the idea that like people, I, I, I'm I'm sure it's still one of the top uh, couple f- most common fears. Um, public speaking, you know, but, uh, and the fact that that outranks real danger for a lot of people, um, 
makes you makes you kind of consider that like okay well what what is it? It, it there is like this vulnerability or um it might even be like the fear of of having a power a power platform and not being able to do something with it or be ridiculed for it or whatever it is but but like um recognizing that like we are so we have this privilege of having a a way to explore risk and fear in a way that doesn't actually endanger us. We don't have to go jumping out of an airplane or bungee jumping um, to get this rush of like, what is this this um, uh, exploration of fear that I get to have in uh, performing when, the, you know, what is the worst like the worst could happen is is like just psychological or emotional which 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 is definitely something but like you're not going to lose any limbs from having a bad show no uh, time will just slow down and it'll feel awkward <laughs> yeah, right? I, I did have a woman years ago when i was training break her femur during oh, a cl- one-on-one class show her femur, <laughs> her femur wow. too uh and it was it was uh, i remember her name was melody and she was very shy. She was very like outspoken, but shy in class. And during the class show, she had sort of decided to kind of support these people who were skydiving out of a plane on stage. And so she ran out. It was the only time she'd run out in the entire 101 show. And she kind of dove off stage and it was fine. She landed, you know, like, and everyone in the audience thought it was funny. <laughs> and this like six foot two white guy felt the laugh. And he ran out right after her and dove right on top of her and broke her femur. Oh my God. Oh. It was like the, one of the craziest oh. things of, uh, and of course no one knew. And she actually, because she didn't want to uh, ruin a class oh, no. 101 show, crawled oh. off on her belly at UCB Franklin to the back so that the show can be, like, like, like we shouldn't have just all stopped and helped. Like none of us knew until we got to the back because right. she'd so rarely gotten into the show, we didn't even know she was gone, and we were all so new. We just had no uh, spatial awareness or sense of our, our you know, right. ensemble. But, yeah, like, that's a rarity. And also, that's, like, I mean, risk, it's, we want to play with risk from a place of joy, right? Like, th- this is comedy. It's fun. And I'll, I'll tell you, here's an example of, like, a construct that I used for years. Uh, so uh, the first time I met Bob, he saw me in a, in a duo called Jetso. And we would play with a musician. And as we were developing this act very early on, um, this idea of risk, I wasn't calling it that yet. I just knew I was like, oh, like, how do we get like, the audience to sort of think we're, we're screwing up? <laughs> I didn't have the language. You know? like, I didn't, like, and right. I came up with this idea that I would have the hosts read this very long intro for us. Uh, and it was, uh, it would say like, if I can remember it, it was like, ladies and gentlemen, we have a real treat for you this evening. A father son comedy team from the small fishing oh, village yeah. of Nagoya, Japan. They're here in America to perform their very first show. Put your hands together for Jetso. And then we had this anime song play and we would be in costume. So like, you know, when do you see people in costume and improv? And we'd come out, we'd lip sync and dance together for another 30 seconds and have this big finish where we threw our hands up and everyone usually would clap, not because I think they were entertained, but because it felt like we were doing a lot. It's like, I think we should clap. And then um, Juzo would, in Japanese, so it's sometimes if people did not know us, would still think, I mean, obviously I wasn't Japanese, but they would think like, well, you know, this is not an act from this country. Right. He would do the, like, he would ask for a suggestion in Japanese and he was really good at it. He had a good pattern. 
And the minute we got the suggestion, almost always Jesus would be like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so we'd have all this momentum and all this promise of that we were this polished duo. And then immediately when we get to the suggestion, we're already failing. Right. And I'm just like, and I'm like, could you explain it to him? And I'm like, you really don't understand. And, and he'd be like, could we do this word? <laughs> I was like, no, this is our word. And, and so like, this was something in my earliest dealings with risk where I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. This is the experience that the audience has where they're like, Oh, they're, they've, they've bitten off more than they can chew. Like they're out here. And, and the reason risk is valuable in clown and improv is because it immediately endears the audience to you. Cause now they're kind of rooting for us. Like no one wants to go to a show and watch someone bomb. I mean, maybe at a, maybe at the comedy store with those monsters, but like at an improv show, <laughs> like if people want you to succeed, you could use that against an audience, you know, in a, in a playful way to get them like more focused and rooting you on. So like we had this engine that would always kind of set the audience up to watch us succeed and fail, succeed and fail, succeed and fail and get into the rhythm of that. And so that they were having this, sort of adrenalized experience. It wasn't just funny, but it was like, how, is, how are they going to pull this off? You know? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, so were you always comfortable with being uncomfortable or is there, yeah, because I, no. I, something I, I noticed well, myself and students deal with is getting to that point and not having a, a conversation with the audience to, to get comfort, you know, like, uh, oh, this is silly, acknowledging it to to gain them back, you know, like almost talking, yeah. like talking about the commenting or talking about the game, the scene, or you know, just making side comments to 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 let the air out of the the tension in the room. Oh and, my god! Yeah, but yeah, no, no, go, you, please yeah. go. Tell me, uh, this is the kind of improviser I was when I started. I started very late. I was in my 30s when I started improvising. And I just wanted to be funny. Like, I remember I saw my then-girlfriend's show, her one-on-one show, and it wasn't like, I love improv. It was like, I'm funnier than these people, which I think is how 90% of people start improv. They see a one-on-one show that's terrible, and they're like, well, hell, I can do that. Right. Um, very different than music where, like, you go see Eddie Van Halen, and you're like, I want to be Eddie Van Halen. No, more yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm better than these people. Yeah, or you don't see um, a shitty uh, uh, musician and, and then go, yeah. I, I, I'm going to start playing yeah. guitar. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah I can play sublime better than that guy. <laughs> um, so very early on, man, I just wanted that fix. I just wanted, I wanted people to think I was funny. I wanted people to think I was clever. Um, I can remember driving to shows, like independent shows, because uh, I never got on any kind of house team at UCB or anywhere else. And I would literally spend the whole drive. Tell me how um, counterproductive this is. I would say words out loud while I was driving. And then I try to think about what I would do if that was the suggestion that oh. night. I've, I've, you're not the only improviser has done that. The, the drive there, you do that. And the drive home, what should I have said? Yeah, what should I have said? <laughs> if the ever happens again... Uh, and you have, of course, you're writing the whole scene, you know, like oh, everybody's yeah. going to do exactly what you want. And I was totally, and I had this experience that, uh, you know, to be totally honest, um, I said then girlfriend, it was my it's now late girlfriend. It was a, my, uh, who, who I'd been with for eight years that I took this, um, she had gotten sick. And for like a year and a half, I'd taken this sabbatical. Like I was doing some sketch stuff just to kind of stay sane, but I hadn't done any improv. And when I came out of that experience, 
it had been such an emotionally overwhelming experience for me that when I started improvising again, I'd gone to IO West, rest in peace. And uh, I had no fear. Like, and I didn't give a shit. Like, you know, like I go up, I got a laugh. I didn't get a laugh. I didn't care. And so I was like, well, what's the point now? At least before I was scared. Like at least, at least there was some victory. And that's uh, when I saw this group called Wet the Hippo that performed out here and they were doing something called idiot work, which is, um, I think it's only in Los Angeles. I think there are some, a few in Toronto, but essentially this is, you know, it's live, it's non-scenic. You have a director on stage. Um, a guy named John Gilkey was running it. He used to be in Cirque du Soleil and he had five people up there doing the dumbest stuff you can imagine trying to win over the audience. And half the time they would crush and half the time crickets, like absolute agonizing silence and discomfort. And the worse the show went, the more fun they seemed to be having. And I could not even wrap my head around it. I could not wrap it. So I actually started going to their shows. Like I would see them post, oh, they're going to be at this little, and I would be one of maybe seven audience members, you know, along with the other teams playing just to see. And I could not figure out why they were like, but I was fascinated. So finally I saw they were doing a drop-in. And I was like, okay, I want to try this. And I brought Juzo, who was my partner in Jet. So we both went, like, let's see what this is. It's so weird. And I can remember, I didn't understand clown work at all. And um, John, he was uh, throwing his sneaker at people when they weren't funny. Like he was, and he was yelling at them. And I was feeling very paternal because I was older. You know, a lot of these are like 20 somethings. Right. And at some point I just stood up and I was like, oh, you think you're really tough, huh? You think you're tough with your shoe? You think you can? And he lit up like so excited, which made me even angrier. And, uh, and he and goes, you, well, you were legitimately upset. And I was, like, I, gotta I was ready. To, I was ready. I'm, I'm from the East coast. I was ready to fight. I was like, I'm going to let, let this guy say something to me. Like that was that kind of attitude of like, here he is. Everyone's trying so hard. I'm clueless, clueless to what the mechanism was of what I was enjoying. Like I was enjoying it. And I did not understand it. And he said to me, he was like, well, I'll tell you what, he goes, you're obviously not someone to be messed with. And he was like, saying all this stuff, clearly mocking me, but at the time I did not feel he was. And he goes, why don't you go behind the curtain? And I want you to walk out here like someone that shouldn't be messed with, like someone who should be taken seriously. And I was like, fine. And I went behind the curtain and I walked out as serious as a heart attack. And the whole room, all these people I had been defending in my mind, burst into laughter at me feeling like I was someone of note, like at my status. I mean, howls, probably the best laugh I'd ever gotten. And I just sat with a red face for an hour and I didn't participate again, that drop in. And I, I was mad. I was like having like murderous fantasies. And then this little voice kept coming back and was like, why were they laughing? Why were they laughing? And it was such a good laugh. You know what I mean? It was such a like, they were so pleased with themselves. And so I went back. And that was kind of the beginning of me sort of getting past my own ego and my own pride and my own perception of what I wanted the audience to take away from my performances. This is death on stage for an improviser, I think. I think for a stand-up, it's, it's quite important to sort of know who you are. But for an improviser and you're making stuff up on the spot, to be like, this is how I want to be received by this audience. They're going to think I'm this smart, clever. No, they have to receive you as you make good decisions and bad, you know, like they have yeah. to, and you have to be culpable to those things. That's to me risk. Risk is I'm taking chances. And when it doesn't work out, I feel it wholeheartedly. I feel it through my whole body. And, you know, from then on, that became my obsession was sort of capturing that feeling of uh, that red faced hot, like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm in trouble feeling because I knew if I did, then the audience would love me more. 
you know, for, for being so truthful in that moment. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And it's fascinating too, because so, so you had been improvising for a while, but it sounds like mm-hmm. you said you were hanging on to like ego and um, you needed to squash that. Like it's what, like, so it, it changed your expectation of what it means to perform or like, like, like how, how did you then, what sort of things did you start doing differently in scenes or, or in performance as, as that transformed for you? Um, yeah, you know, I'd say it like this, James, I'd say it changed what I wanted my relationship with the audience to be, you know, and for that relationship to change, like any relationship in your life, I had to change. And I can remember the earliest goings, I would do things like, I'm like, I was on, I was one of the, I'm, I know Bob, I don't know, James, if this is you, like I, I was that guy who was on like nine teams oh, and yeah. like, yeah. at this point, all the names have blended together. Like, I think I was on a team called Death Metal Sex Brigade, but I might've been on a team called Death Brigade and Metal Sex. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know. They were all so useless, these teams. Right. And so I had a lot of stage time. It was at a time when indie shows were booming in Los Angeles. Like you could perform five nights a week. Um, uh, you know, uh, and so I would start being like, well, how do I get, in, how do I get in trouble? So I would do something like this whole show. I'm just going to sweep in the background. And then in the last minute of the show, I'm going to say one line and see if I can land it. Like that would be something. Cause that felt like I was taking away like my tools, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, and like, or I'd be like, no matter what's happening, I'm going to come out with an accent. Like these would be the mouthy. Like I was like, how do I? And then I'm going to get the audience to love me for it, you know? And, or I'm going to enjoy the fact that they're like, oh, this guy's ruining the show, you know? Like that was. <laughs> and then when I formed Jetso with uh, my friend Juzo Yoshida, which team I was just talking about, I start. He was. Um, he's a second. Um, he's a Japanese national, so. English is his second language, and he's a natural clown. Probably one of the most natural clowns I've ever met. He just messes everything up just by trying trying his best. And when we started doing shows together, because, again, I was in that state of, like, I'm going to do the hardest shows I can. I'll do a show with Juzo. Of course, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to save the day. And, of course, the audience loves it. So then it's like, what's going on? He's ruining the show, and they love him. And, like, that's when I was like, oh, this is exactly – and so then I spent – six and a half years, almost seven years doing shows with him where no matter how hard I tried to build the show, he would demolish it. Like, um, I can remember this one show where he was sitting, he was like, Oh, I'm so sad, but at least I have grandpa. At least I have grandpa. He was doing all this stuff. And so I did this big entrance and I took on this like very like stated, like grandpa energy. And I walked all the way, from the back of the stage and around, like I made a big thing and I walked in and I was like, Juzo. And he was like, grandma. <laughs> and I was already so, and right. Like it's so inherently funny. And like, yeah. <laughs> I have so many memories of those moments and like, it was the best training you could ever have to sort of enjoy your failure, you right. know, because it was like, he just would not go along with anything. He was always going to ruin the show in like in a wonderful way. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, and yeah, then I became a di- like, then it was like, Oh, I know exactly what I want to do. And then, you know, so I spent years kind of just kind of being his straight man partner. And then when that kind of got like, Oh, I can do this. Then it was like, how do I get in trouble myself and get in trouble because he's messing it up. And that's when I started doing a lot more dancing. I started, um, 
you know, I started ripping my shirt off all the time in shows. Like, to, like I, I started using cheap tricks. You know, I would, I would sort of like get in trouble with the audience. Like I would go over to like someone and just be like, look at this poor wretch. Look at this poor, and it'd just be some poor guy with a beard just sitting there. Like, like I would, how could I get the audience to boo me? Like wrestling, pro wrestling. Like I, right. it became yeah. like, Become so a heel. it was just yeah. this, yeah, exactly. Like totally. Cause you know, and then of course get my just desserts at the end, you know? Um, uh, but yeah, so it was this very long process of doing shows and inching forward into deeper and deeper water so that I was taking greater and greater risks, you know? And then it became the only way I wanted to play. And now it's the only, like, I do once in a while, I'll do like a fun show, like a, like a montage. But even then I'm gonna try to get in trouble every scene. Like I'm gonna try to do something or come in and try to like impress or come in with some like, weird gift. And like the people I play with obviously enjoy that. Like I wouldn't do that in a jam per se. Right. But, um, but yeah, like that's the, my, risk is my addiction now, you know, because, because I know for the audience, it's a more full experience. Like, so it's not just for me. I know for that audience, there's an excitement that comes yeah. with a dangerous player, you know? Yeah. there And there's like, um, I, I think of it like, uh, you know, watching figure skating is really, is awesome. But watching somebody slip and almost fall mm. for like five minutes straight is like that's that's how i feel about it and, and I'm, al I'm also i'm also curious as we as we kind of talk more and more about the clown side of things uh to, to somebody who has no experience with with comedy improv anything um it, if they ask what is clown how do you describe clown to somebody who doesn't know anything about anything Usually I say, like, imagine you're in your hometown and a new gas station's opened up and there's a guy with really big shoes and makeup on his face. He's the guy who gives you the balloon after your first tank of gas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, like, that is so, like, you know, we, many conversations about rebranding happen in Los Angeles where there's a pretty uh, robust clown community. Honestly, to me, clown is just simply the idea of a complicite. It's the idea that when we do shows, there's no fourth wall and the show is between us and the audience. You know, like I think that's, cause there's so many versions of it, but that's yeah. like the one thing that connects them all. And then the kind of clown that I do, uh, we tend to traffic mostly in nonsense. So we might explore a narrative, we might not, but we're looking to sort of unpack the dumbest ideas we have, you know, and, and sort of have the most play. It's almost like, you know, playing to the bottom of your intelligence, but like in the smartest way you can, uh, you know, like, no, like, in fact, if, if you are sort of on stage and you're sort of interacting with the audience, the greatest victory you can have is taking something that seems meaningless and giving it meaning. You know, um, that's the big, like if you, you know, and by the way, that's, I, I, I make the, um, sort of um, distinction because there's a lot of types of clowns. Like there are clowns who are so yeah. good at things, you know, there are clowns who are John Gilkey, the guy I was talking about from the idiot workshop. I mean, he's a, a fantastic juggler who headlined a Cirque du Soleil show. You know, I, I do work uh, sometimes for Spiegel world out in Las Vegas and they have clowns who, you know, whether it's devil sticks or sword swallowing or acrobatics and like their thing is they're so talented that that's the rush is they take risks and they succeed. And then they sort of, 
the audience loves them. I'm, I'm, we're the other ones. <laughs> we're the ones who really revel in our failure and our disgrace, you know, in a way that sort of the audience roots us on. But yeah, like it can be with makeup, it can be with costumes, it can be with nothing. You can be doing, I've done clown versions of the Cherry Orchard. You know, I do a show called Chad Live Directs where simply like, you know, five duos do nothing but non, like create nothing but nonsense based on meaningless prompts that I create. And we sort of, the whole show is nonsense. You know, um, so there's a lot of, um, the spectrum is wide, but as long as it's always for the audience, you are in the realm of clown. Yeah, that, that, that um, acknowledgement of the real people in mm. the real room. Um, it versus, because it's, it's like talking about dance, right? Where it's like, it's like, I think it's a, it's a much broader term than, uh, definitely broader than I thought it was before uh, my first exposure to it. And um, I thought it was actually pretty specific, but it's actually pretty broad. Like uh, yeah. there's so many different ways, but I think that, um, yeah, that, um, that active connection with the audience without the fourth wall. And even that like is, is sort of tough to, because standups are talking to the audience too um and can riff without a script and stuff but it, it's like i don't know i i find it really fascinating too and i wish i could see idiot work because i've i've heard uh isaac and um oliver talk about it uh two you know more buddies of ours from uh that we've met through the- i know I'll, i know both great guys great guys um and uh it sounds really cool <laughs> and and i yeah. again i just love that you went to go see so many shows while being like enjoying it but also being actively bothered by it like that, oh, yeah. that's so funny to me um, um you know i think that's like we always talk too about just that when you have a great clown show the audience almost leaves and they're like that was amazing and then they're just like speechless because they can't really explain <laughs> what that was so like they can't explain the show like it's almost like their secret with the people who were in the audience because if you went and tried to tell your friend about it it would sound either unimpressive or like total chaotic madness you know like it's so in the moment Mm -hmm. of like that you can sort of get something to work with this audience you know we talk a lot about with clown the idea of play you know like we're playing with the audience you know and there's stakes right? Like our success or our failure, that's our stake. That's our risk. And, you know, if you get an audience really playing, like, I mean, I've seen some bits kill that like, I, you couldn't possibly imagine, like, you know, I've seen someone just like literally just raising their pinky up over and over again, but they find a way to do it with the audience where the audience is like screaming, no, don't like, you know, like they're so invested in this thing that we have simply um, assigned value to you know, by our commitment. And, um, and that's like, not to go back to the, the, you know, but that's, to me, that's real risk. You know, I think there is another side of risk uh, in improv, which is not never been my strength, which is sometimes you get like a murderer's row of the smartest people you've ever met. And they go on stage and they start building something that they can't sustain. And like, they're all so smart. And I think, um, I don't know if you, if Cook County Social Club has ever come yeah. through four really smart guys and sometimes they'll build a show and you're like how are they spinning these like they've got 40 patterns going right and like to me that's very clown also you know like this idea of like oh my god how they how are they doing this like they're only making their lives harder they keep adding more plates so you know 
I do think there is room and space and risk for people, um, musical improv. When you see someone compose a song or, or a, a rap and tie it all together and you're just like, well, how did they do it? Like they, they put themselves out there that could have went terrible for them. You know, for me, not having any of those skills, <laughs> the other is super interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. How, so how do you, talking about like like risk and um those moments when you feel like you've um you've latched onto a path that you're like this is where i want to go which again it's kind of it's 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 this weird like uh, subjective thing to to try and like describe but like um we like how do you can you can you describe how you make choices about how to explore something that that is drawing you to it because you can make it more simple like like the finger example or you can make things more complicated like the cook county example and and it's like how do you kind of like uh follow like is there is there a way that's consistent in the way that you follow those moments i think so and by the way i think we all should be working both sides like even when i teach there's uh, an exercise i do where I have someone come out and try to give like the, uh, the world's greatest monologue, you know, like I want you to come out and uh, no bullshit. I want you to come out and this is going, you're going to win an Oscar for this monologue. Right. However, um, if you start losing the audience, you can do whatever you have to, to get them interested again, but then you have to go back to this monologue. Right. You do anything you want, you know, you'd be like, nye, 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 nye. and as long as they're looking at you again, you could then be like, what is this failure of man and man's gift? Like, so like to me, like this spectrum, like I, I can't stress enough that even though I talk about silliness and stupidity, I am in a constant search for beauty. And like, and I often like, even when I, so, you know, I did a show at last year's um, Detroit Fest, Detroit Festival. Yeah. And you know, right off the bat, that's my solo act. I immediately claim that this show will be timeless, unlike any of the other shows the audience has seen in this <laughs> festival, yep. right? So I'm in a lot of trouble. Like I've already made a grand claim. And, mm -hmm. and then I, you know, I am trying to do that. Like I am really trying to get there. However, the minute a thread starts to bear itself from the sweat, like the minute something starts to break, I am not going to wash past that. I'm going to explore it you know what i mean yeah. like i'm going to unpack it you know and i think that's the sort of you know that's why i dance a lot in shows you know when i first started dancing in shows it was because this scares me the most i was like this moving around i was i think at the time like 250 pounds i was like much bigger than now and i was like oh when i dance people are laughing for the wrong reason so i'm gonna keep dan i want to dance where i want to get them one time and then i got you know not to brag but i got really good at dancing like i would dance in my uh apartment like for 40 minutes a day in front of a mirror. And then I got better and better. And, and then people were like, are you, a, this is the thing when you get older, people will be like, are you a choreographer? It was never like, are you a yeah. dancer? It was like, well, clearly. <laughs> or did you used to be a dancer? Used to be a dancer, happened a couple of <laughs> times for sure. I was like, I'll take it. I was like, at this point. But, yeah. and then this thing happened where I realized that like, if things have gotten really crazy and dumb and silly, and then all of a sudden I cue the musician and I just dance my heart out, like emotionally. Like sometimes people would laugh harder and then sometimes everyone would stop and just be like, well, I don't know what to feel right now. Like he really, he's trying his, so in my pursuit of like stupidity and silliness, 
my pursuit is uh, is charging in the direction of beauty and substance, you know. Um, and then I just allow these sort of, you know, when we do a lot of times um, before all this madness, we were doing shows at a place called the Lyric Hyperion, uh, a bunch of clowns. Um, one of them, Natalie Palomides. Actually, this is something uh, I think is going to happen by the time this podcast comes out. She has a special now on Netflix called Nate. You know, she's a great clown, but there was it's a eight amazing clowns, and we would go on stage and we would almost always be uh, prompted by the director, this uh, clown named Dr. Brown, to have the best scene we could have. Have the best scene you can have. And then we would just be in the middle of the scene and something would go wrong or he would notice something. And then he'd just be like, okay, but have an Italian accent. And then we would be in it like, oh no. And then you'd be like, I told you, you know, your mama dying, huh? Like, you know, and, uh, and so now we have this, push and pull between this yeah. desire to make this show beautiful but we are now you know armed against a grizzly bear with a shrimp fork right like we have like the yeah. wrong weapon for the for the job right. um and, or he would just like there was something like we you know you'd be rocking a cradle and he'd just be like don't stop rocking that cradle no matter what happens <laughs> and so then like all this stuff would be happening around you and you just be sitting right like it would be this idea of like what is the thing that shouldn't derail this show you know, yeah. and so in those cases, and Clown often uses a live director. I do a lot of live directing. Um, you know, beyond that show I talked about earlier where I just live direct duos and nonsense. I was working with this um, company called Electric Avenue that Jet Eveleth is in, who is mm. both a great improviser and an amazing yeah. clown. Um, and essentially we would lie to audiences and we promote, we were doing a dress rehearsal for a real play like The Cherry Orchard or... Uh, <laughs> a cat on a hot tin roof and uh then when the when the audience would come in i would be dressed like in a turtleneck and i i'd say hey thanks everyone listen i didn't want to say anything um because i wasn't sure but we just found out that we're going to edinburgh uh you know so a group had to drop out uh for financial reasons and they're going to fly us to edinburgh monday to do this show so this is our last dress rehearsal and we're going to be like and i'd have all these details and the audience would be just like oh my god this is amazing and that and i'm like so you know, I'm just going to be sitting in the corner and I might give a couple directions, you understand, just to kind of fine tune the show. But really, we just want to get your opinion of this show. <laughs> yeah. That's and uh, immediately, I can remember when we did The Cherry Orchard, which is probably the most successful one. Um, this uh, one woman came out <laughs> and she was playing a male character and she just had the worst mustache and eyebrows. But she came out trying her best to do like give, give this yeah. monologue. And I let her give the whole monologue. And I was like giving basic notes to her and the maid character. And I was like, oh, and I, uh, I was like, Libby, just again, I think this costume's too much. Like in a very, and the audience like was so tense. Like the laugh, you could feel the shaking laughter of like, we don't want to laugh at this person, you know? And like, so the whole show, by the end, the show had completely fallen apart. And this audience, about 50% of them till the end of the show thought we were a doomed production heading to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> oh no and so like that's uh, risk like that's yeah, like awesome. this sort of like we created this and it was magical i can remember one yeah. guy came out and by the way this jet put this group together and there was some of the dumbest clowns like any clown that's a compliment but like, these were like <laughs> clowns that for real mess up like they are not trying they like juzo they're like they're gonna mess it up because they just can't get it right they've been doing that their whole lives and a guy walked out and he's supposed to be like this suitor and he waved at someone in the audience, one of his friends. And I just, 
I just ripped him a new asshole. Oh my like God. Five it's like years. watching an elementary school play. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hi, mom, dad. Yeah. You know, oh. Bob, it's so interesting you say that because, you know, I'm actually doing some Zoom teaching right now. And I keep trying to sort of, as these sort of class, as soon as the, the, I only let the classes be four weeks because I find that in a clown class, if you're with the same people too long, you love each other too much. It's hard to train clowns when you fall in love too much because everything's great, you know, but audiences. Right. But I, I keep saying like, this is what you want. You go into a room full of strangers. They owe you nothing. And by the end, they're like parents at a fourth grade dance recital. You know, like by yeah. the end, they're like, oh, she didn't fall off the stage. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, they're just, they're just cheering and this and that. And like, and you like, it's like, you want sort of through your actions and your desperation to please and be loved mm -hmm. that this audience becomes so enamored with you uh, and your failures that they, they lowered the bar like to septic levels. So like, if you can just, you know, and, and, no, and no matter how low, or low the bar goes, we mess up. And so they lower the bar more. And by the end, you just raise your pinky in the air and the audience stands and, uh, yes. and gives you a standing ovation. They're like, finally, you know, and it's like this joyful sort of, um, it's an experience. It's not just a show. It's not just passive observation. You know, you have been part of this uh, journey, you know. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, during the Detroit festival, you, you taught that workshop I took and I don't remember the term, but the, the psychology of when the audience is screaming, no, that's when you have to do it the most, you know, yes. uh, uh, is, is there a term for that? Or is it that just a tool? I mean, it's more of a tool than a term. It's like yeah. this idea that there's two types of no also, you know, there's yeah. like, no, like, there's like, <laughs> they're like, you, you know, this, we do not want this, but right. there's that sort of, no, I don't, I don't want you to get hurt. Yeah, like that's yeah. the no where we're like, Oh, I've got to do this again. I and I have do to it. do it for the audience. Like that's, the, this is this sort of dysfunctional, beautiful relationship of like, not only am I yeah. going to do it again, I'm going to do it for you, even though you're begging. And me. they want to see it. They yeah, want they to see you go on that tightrope. Yeah. Do you remember Bob? We had a couple of people. I think even Moody was one of them that like, yes. um, just, we could get the whole class laughing, just having them walk across the stage and look at the audience. All they had to do was just be truthfully themselves, give the yeah. audience a look. And I remember Moody specifically, cause he loves being on stage, like almost to a point of like, maybe needing to see a therapist. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I remember he, like everyone was doing it and they were super nervous and stiff. And so the audience yeah. was kind of loving everyone because they were so nervous, they want to do well. And then Moody did it and just gave this smirk, like you love this. And the place like just went like, and all he did is walk across the stage, you know, like, like yeah. the power of just being with this audience and presenting yourself is just, you can't underestimate it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and so um, it's, it sounds like uh, it's a lot of like recognizing when you are and are not in that mode of, of being yourself versus putting something on and, and like um, you know, cause you, you you either need to get better at recognizing those moments in yourself or uh you know have a director or be a director for for people to like mm -hmm. point to things those moments um and then you also have to balance like um you have to find that threshold right between between like um it's there's something you're 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 actually trying to do and it's going wrong right so it's like mm -hmm. 
I love the I love the monologue example of like you're trying to do a monologue and if you lose the audience you ha- you drop the monologue do whatever you can to get them back <laughs> and then mm-hmm. once you have them go back to the monologue and it's like <laughs> where is that little that little like threshold and how do you like toy with it um, and do, do you have any like general uh, other than b- beyond like uh, getting it seems a very experiential thing to, to like, you, you have to like really uh, experience and be coached into those moments, I, w- I would guess. But like, are there, are there any tips just um, that you could give to people uh, that, are, that are looking for ways to recognize those moments uh, for themselves on stage or see it more? I think the first thing that I always tend to work on is you have to create space for that, those moments. Like you, you, one, you have to train yourself not to play chess with the audience where you're like, I have five, I'm five moves ahead. Like you make an offering and then James. And I mean, it's this simple, but it's very hard. Just look at the audience, like do something, find stillness, look at them. Do you like it? (laughs) Do you not like it? Like just, just with your look, like, Hey, what do you think of this? And then react accordingly in the moment, you know, this isn't about like stalling the show, but it's like, you've sort of done something like I do a lot of accents. I'm a big, it's so funny. Cause I, um, I listened to Jill Bernard's episode and I thought she was so, I'm like, Oh my God, she's so smart. And I was like, and I do everything different. <laughs> like I was like, actually everything <laughs> she's saying is so bright. And like, and I, and I read her book and I, I, I'm like, this is great. And I was like, for me, like when I walk, like often when I make an entrance immediately, it's like, we lost a guy down at the mines, right? And then I just look at the audience. I just look at them. Usually I'm holding a pickaxe and everything's too much. And I just look at them like, do you want this? And if they, if they want it, I give them more. And if they don't want it, I give them twice as much. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, if they're like, don't do this, don't ruin this scene, you know? Um, so what I would say is as just kind of students of this game, how do we kind of unpack and spread everything out and allow for moments for the audience's opinion and energy to inspire us. You know, it goes against almost everything we're taught in improv, you know, but it is, I mean, honestly, you go back to like Comedia Improviso and stuff like, this is how it's, you know, this is what they used to do all the time. You know, they, they would go out there and they'd feel the audience. I think pro wrestling is another great example. Oh yeah. It's become much more scripted maybe on television now, but in the old regional days, two guys would go out and depending on the, the room, the room of the night, uh, if the room was like really into the baby face, then the heel would beat the shit out of them for 60 minutes. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, they, you know, and if they were kind of like half back and forth, like they, they would just, everything was, they were doing all this physical activity, doing all this silent storytelling. And yet it was all based on temperature, you know? Yeah. So that's yeah, the thing psychology. we just need to learn. You know? Yeah. Psychology, you know, and we use the same stuff, you know, in clown, it's like the idea that we're going to gauge this audience. You know, we have things too, like if you're in a show as a clown and you have just one person who loves the shit out of you, right? You're going to start doing most of the show for that person. You know what I mean? You're actually going to block yourself to be in front of this person. And that mm. heat starts to spread. 
you know, and also some people are like, I want that, I want that kind of attention. So then, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, but I've had whole shows where the audience was kind of unsure about someone loved me and then the whole show. And then I would turn on that person at some point too, you know, I would just be like, you know, Oh, look at that old crone in the audience. Like, like, Oh, crone, <laughs> like, Oh, at the graveyard. Oh my God. Like, so then like the audience would be like, Oh my God, like what a villain, you know, like, but it's all about relationships. You know, we're, we're all, you know, if you have experience in improv, you have a good muscle to build relationships with your scene partners. But what about your muscle to build a relationship with this audience? Yeah. You know, and what they want. So yeah, like I would say mostly just do less, do less, give more to everything you do and leave space for the audience to have an opinion. Yeah, that's awesome. If, if I could, I, I just have one more question because it's something we, we that we brought up earlier and, uh, also at the end here is, is um, do you have, when you are teaching, do you have a uh, kind of spiel that you get a, a give about like um, positive and negative risk where, where it's like, you don't, you, you want to be able to take risks and learn from the consequences of your risks, but also you don't want to be the guy that breaks somebody's femur, right? Or breaks your own. Yeah. So, so like, how do you oh, kind of yeah. set that up for, for, for people? Well, you know, the good thing about, clown training is that you know a lot of people think because you know clowns are generally disruptors and renegades and rebels and it's like we actually we we work well under restriction because the whole idea of clown is we're uninvited we go out with nothing you know we want the love of the audience we're ill-prepared you know um so in the day in the pre-covid days in the days before as i called them (laughs) um it was a long spiel just about contact like i didn't want anyone touching anybody like like if you're just starting you just don't have you just don't have like i dealt with as a young when i was teaching at the nerdist which was the first place i taught you know um a couple times for sure before i developed my style like a guy would just jump on someone's back like they'd be nervous and they would just like just really unnecessary or i've had two torn acls um both of these torn acls were two performers i had stopped multiple times during their turn to tell them to stop moving so erratically because um we use dance a lot because people are very nervous to dance in front of people and um yeah i had two times where very early on i stopped it immediately and said you don't have to do so much you don't have to do so much and both times, all of a sudden, they like did like a weird twist, and like you, I heard a pop in one, like a, an audible oh. pop. Uh, nice guys, by the way, two nice guys who just really wanted the audience to love them and stuff. And so, yeah, yeah like I, I kind of, I pull away from contact. Most of the early training is silent or noises. I take away because when people are nervous, sometimes they say awful things. They do awful yeah. things. You know, they, it's, it's, it's sort of a distraction technique, you know? So very early on, I, I say, you know, you can yell a word. I don't want any sentences. I don't want any stories. I don't want any, you know, uh, you know, I, I want to see you just play in nonsense, you know, that's, or you'll get no talking at all. It, it's been interesting since I've been on zoom because music was a big part of my curriculum live, but music doesn't yeah. really translate on zoom. You know, yeah. um, also yeah, people are home yeah. already. Right. And people are home already. So they're safe. So like, I'm not going to give you another blanket for your bed. You know, like, I'm not going to be like, not only are you home, but this awesome songs playing. So the audience is already kind of on your side. So now we're doing all this. So, um, I, you know, I, I kind of strip all that away. Like, I don't like any, uh, 
you know, uh, gender normative bullshit. Like I don't like clowns to me are just people like, you know, at this level of training, you're just high status or low status. You're smarter. You're dumb. Like, like nothing. I don't want anything to do with stuff you're bringing in from the outside that has to do with being a grown up, you know, or being socialized. And so, yeah, there's, there's a big thing. And I always tell, you know, specifically when I say push, when I say, give me more, I mean, be more vulnerable. I mean, show me more of yourself and like, that's risk. Like, I don't want to see you do a handstand on your office chair and break your neck. Right. Like that's yeah. actually deflection. That's yeah. you, you know, yeah. like I want you to get closer to the camera and apologize. I want you to stand in stillness. I want you to make a weird noise while you hold this body position. Like, so early stage stuff is definitely more just about having them inhabit bad ideas and give everything and learn to love the process of failure. You know, um, that's a big thing for me too. And Bob will tell you, like, I roast people like in class, <laughs> when you fail, I ruin you. And like, because it's fun because we love it. Like yeah. in our lives, we do this with our friends. And you know, what was interesting to me is I always, when I first started having my own biases, I assumed, cause I was kind of working on this idea of being a villain in class. Cause I was like, Oh, it's fun when you're like the hero and there's a villain. Like when I'm the villain and you're the hero on right. stage, that's fun. And I thought for sure that women, because of bi, because I'm 48, I was like, oh, it's going to be tough. I'm going to tease these women and they're going to not like it. Guys are going to love it because we all bust each other's balls. Total opposite. Total women, opposite. Oh, really? yeah. Women love it. They, yeah. they love being in trouble and mischievous and being like sort of bad and like, and getting a reward for it. Like they've been taught their whole lives to be prim and, you know, socialized that they have to be perfect you know, and this and that. So when they get to be broken and, and, and they're getting laughs and, you know, like, um, but yeah, like that's also part of this process that, you know, kind of you were asking about, like, how do you prep these people to be responsible is I control the narrative of the failure. You know, I point them in the direction that they should go just so they can live in it. So eventually they can do it on their own. Yeah. Build your way up to it for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It takes muscle memory and it takes unlearning. You know, some of my students that struggle the most are the ones who are the best improvisers, the ones who can go out and yeah, because they've learned when you get really good at improv, like you might have great shows, but you also have tools to get out of trouble. It's just the way it is. You know, we just build them, you know, safety nets and all that stuff. Oh yeah. 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 And take that shit away. And those people, it's been years. (laughs) Like yeah. a, a, a mediocre improviser has been dealing with failure a bunch more than a great improviser. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Totally. Yeah. Well, this has been such an awesome conversation, Chad. I, I'm mm-hmm. so glad we got to talk with you um, yes. about risk. And um, before we let you go, do you have any, obviously you're doing some virtual teaching. Um, where can people find those classes? And is there anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, yes. So I'm doing something I call the clown improv gym. Honestly, you know, I'm not really promoting it like heavily, like, uh, like if you hear this podcast and you're people who like Bob and James, then that's a pretty good, you know, that's pretty good for me. So, uh, you can find me on Instagram at the Chad Demiani and, uh, just send me a DM, you know, honestly, honestly, they usually I've sold out these two months and I'm pretty much sold out for November, but like, I'm, I'm, I always am excited to work with new people who want to kind of expand and broaden their horizons. I mean, for me personally, like, I feel like this is 
this little break we have from live theater, my hope is that we all start to really rethink what improv can be. No different than music or art. You know, like, what is this evolution? That's, when we get back to live theaters, what is it going to look like? So I'm excited to kind of introduce new ideas to people. And also, if you're in the Los Angeles area, um, you can, I do shows um, with uh, socially distant, masked shows. One's an actual mask show at the old zoo. And the other, we wear, um, you know, just basic surgical masks. But uh, you can find information about that also on my Instagram. And, you know, talking about risk, these shows, you know, they're outside. I've been almost attacked by dogs. Uh, you know, I've had drunk people give me notes during a scene. Oh, like, oh. it's super fun and, like, kind of chaotic. But these spaces are open air. Everyone sits six feet apart. And, you know, yeah. we are doing our best to find a way to play uh, considering everything that's going on. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, we will that sounds awesome. all those yeah. things or, or put your Instagram uh, uh, handle on there so people can find you. And um, thanks again for joining. This is awesome. I love talking about this stuff. This has been a perfect conversation. Um, and uh, my pleasure. A, a, a real pleasure to meet you, James. And, uh, you know, Bob, I guess I'd have to see you again eventually. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, we're enemies. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, and for our audience, um, you can find us on uh, YouTube and Facebook uh, in video podcast style. Uh, you can also find us as an audio-only podcast. Our most complete and current content is going to be on YouTube. Um, so make sure you check that out. That includes not only the at like uh, longer conversations, but also the uh, mini lecture series on topics. Um, and uh, thanks so much for joining. We will catch you next time on Improv FAQ at length. Bye. Bye.